Hello, 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 and welcome to More Than Money, a podcast where we explore the psychology, emotions, and math of money so you can make better, smarter choices regardless of where you are on the income and wealth spectrums. I'm your host, Jacquette Timmons, and I am really, really glad that you are here today. This episode is going to be a little different than some of the others that I've done because this is really a rant episode. And it is a rant episode based upon just some of my frustration that's just really coming to a head in terms of really being annoyed by the soundbite conversations on topics that I believe are really nuanced, they're multi-layered, and they're really complex. And of course, I'm talking about the intersection of politics and money. And there are three big things that I just wanna talk about, and again, just share what some of my frustrations are. And I am going to just say right at the start, at the start I don't have answers to the things that are necessarily frustrating me, but I do know that something needs to be done and we need to have a much broader conversation than I feel is being had. And some of this did indeed come to the forefront on the heels of the Democratic debate last week, which, by the way, I did not watch live uh, because I thought it was only on cable and I don't have cable. So anyway, I missed that. But <laughs> there were a couple of things that were covered du during it that you know I saw in media coverage afterward that just really got me to um, thinking and uh, sharing with some folks some of my pet peeves, if you will, and I thought I would share them with you. So the first thing I wanna talk about is health insurance. And this was really interesting because this came up, uh, I and probably all of the world, right, follow uh, John Legend. And this piece came up when he put out on his Twitter feed a question around, and it was really more of a, a question and, uh, yeah, it was more of a question. He said, raise your hand if you love your health insurance plan. And as you might imagine, especially given all of the followers that he has, it was quite a thread to read. And if you don't follow him, um, even if you don't want to follow him, I think it would be worth it just to kind of hear what some of the people's uh, responses and answers were and where they all fall. What I can say to you in terms of, for me, I am self-insured. I, I, I own a business, it's a subchapter S corporation, it's an employee of one, and that would be me, and I pay my own insurance. And my monthly premiums have gone up $200 per month in just the last two years. So that's $2,400 per year on an after-tax basis. And yet, while those increases have occurred, I now can no longer see the doctors that I've had nearly a 15 year or more relationship with. And in fact, <laughs> this really came for a head for me uh, about two weeks ago, 
because I'm having a procedure in April. Uh, I know that sounds so clandestine, right? I'm having a colonoscopy. Um, and when I had, you know, the pre-procedure consultation with the doctor and, you know, we're talking about all of the prep that needs to happen beforehand, what needs to occur a week before, 48 hours before, day before, et cetera. He said, oh, and by the way, your plan doesn't cover general anesthesia. You need to be prepared to pay for that out of pocket unless you want to go their recommended uh, approach, which is local. And I'm like, oh, hell no. I want to be completely knocked out. So thank you for letting me know this so that I can start preparing for that now. But I just feel like that's a false choice. It's like, oh, you can either be completely knocked out, in which case you pay for it out of your own pocket, or you can do what your insurance plan will cover, um, and that's not being completely knocked out. And who the heck, if you have quote unquote a choice, wants to do that procedure and not be completely knocked out. <laughs> so uh, health insurance is a really big issue for me. And I, again, I do not have the answers and I don't know what the answer is in this case. I don't know what the solution is. But what I do know is I really want to have less of, you know, a broad, let's put everybody in one bucket kind of conversation and really have one that's really nuanced and, and addresses the concerns of companies that have one employee, as well as those that, you know, are much larger corporations, et cetera, like, you know, Fortune 500 companies, those that are union versus those that are non-union, as well as government employees. Like, what is an answer that will give all of those different constituents and needs uh, of people some consideration. So that's one rant that I have. The second rant that I have, and you know, this is again uh, based upon a comment that someone made post the debate last week. And I was listening, I'm a huge NPR listener, and so I was listening to a show and a caller called in and they were expressing their support for a particular candidate. And this particular uh, caller was excited about this candidate's plan to give workers um, a stake in corporate America. So the whole idea was, you know, workers should have a 20% ownership in companies. And he was, and the, the caller was a he, and he was like, I, I want to be an owner. And I heard that and I thought, hmm, yes, we may have an imperfect democracy. We may have an imperfect capitalism. But if you want to be an owner, you still have the ability, caller, to go out and start a business. Like no one is stopping you from doing that. And my frustration was that the the host nor the other person that was his guest like said that to him <laughs> and I was just like why didn't anybody say to this guy well if you want to be an owner then start a business like what it's an idea that you have for a business and my frustration came from the fact that no, my business doesn't do $100 million in revenue, which would be the, the trigger for this particular 20% ownership uh, thing coming into, I don't even know what you really would call it, but 
that requirement coming into play. But, you know, let's just say, let's just play this out for a moment. Let's just say, because I really do have an idea for a financial app. We'll see where that goes. But let's just say that the idea that I have for this financial app really took off. And, and over the course of time, I actually did build a, a company that did $100 million in revenue. Does that mean that a business that I started in 1995, that I would need to give employees a 20% ownership stake? I mean, I know I, that when I work with people that I am fair when I hire contractors. And so I know that I will be fair if it ever gets to a point where I'm hiring employees that I would also be fair. But 20% ownership and a company that has been in existence since 1995, which this idea would be, you know, an amalgamation of all of the experiences and the insights and all of that that I have accumulated over that bit of time. I'm going to give someone who's coming in a 20% stake in that? I don't think so. <laughs> and then the other thing that I was just like really furious about is the, at least the way it was described. And maybe I just need to go to this candidate site and read a little bit more about what is within this idea. But it also just felt to me like you're putting that carrot out there of ownership, but if you own a business, you, you, you know, you're taking on the risk. You're the one that's riding the ups and downs that come with ownership. And do people really understand that? Or are they just, when they hear ownership, are they just thinking about the ownership part, like the, the good that comes with that, the equity that comes with that, and not the part where you have a down year or you have a number of down years in, you know, in succession. Again, we need to have a nuanced conversation that I don't think is being had. And then my third point in terms of things to rant about is this vilification of billionaires, which is really equating to the vilification of wealth. And the question that I have with regards to that is how do you vilify the thing that you also want to create for yourself and your family? And I have seen this actually in some of the work that I have done with some nonprofits. And this is going back some years, but I, I still remember uh, some work with some nonprofits where, you know, as a part of their fundraising and their, you know, uh, grant development and business development, they've got to go out and ask people for money. And so the idea that someone would be, you know, calling for dollars and yet resenting the person that they're asking money from, that just never really sat well with me. Like, I just didn't understand that. And I think part of my problem is that you're conflating, not you, the listener, but the, the folks that subscribe to this vilification it, you're conflating wealth with wealth injustice. And I think that is what we need to be talking more about, wealth injustice. And that tendency to conflate, you know, uh, all businesses and to make all businesses and to make all people that are creating their wealth through business ownership be the bad guy. Because let me just pause here for a second. Very broadly, there are really only three ways that you can build wealth. 
You either build wealth by owning a business, by investing in the stock market, or by owning income producing real estate. And if you work as an employee, then, and you don't have a side business, then what you have done is you've said that your way of building wealth will be then through investing in the stock market and through um, investing in, you know, income producing real estate. But this idea that all companies, you know, and the people that build them, and if they be, do become billionaires or millionaires, are bad, just drives me up a wall. And so this, the, again, don't conflate wealth with wealth injustice. And yes, we do see a lot of wealth injustice when it comes to, you know, some of the, C, the pay disparities between, you know, the CEOs of some Fortune 500 companies and some of their employees. But let's just take a look at some facts. And we need to be, I think, in my opinion, really mindful of this. And my numbers may be slightly off, but I don't think they're going to be that significantly off in terms of 2020 numbers versus just a couple of years ago. But when we say corporate America, right, we're typically talking about the Fortune 500 companies, etc. They employ about 28 million people. If you, and if you need a visual, that's about the size of Texas. Small businesses, which are really the backbone of the American economy, they employ about 60 million people, or half of the U.S. workforce. And then let's talk about women-owned businesses, which are now at about 11.6 million, and they employ 9 million. And then let's talk about the fact that the fastest growing demographic when it comes to women-led and women-owned businesses are black women. And so you mean to tell me that we don't wanna get behind especially our, our black sisters who are starting businesses and you know cheer them on to actually create that million dollar or maybe even that billion dollar venture so that they can create generational wealth for their family? Come on, it just drives me crazy. So for me, again, I'm gonna say it one more time, let's not conflate wealth with wealth and justice. And let's make sure that we're having a nuanced conversation about income disparity, about wage stagnation. And let's also talk about the shift that has happened, you know, in the last, what, 30, 35 years or so, just in terms of what employers used to be responsible for that they've shifted to employees. So as an example, when I first started working in 1986, I worked for a firm, I have a pension. So when I retire, you know, or get reached the age of retirement, retirement, I will be able to draw from that pension. People starting jobs today, they don't have that. They only have their 401k plan. And I remember when I first started with my firm, the firm back then, we didn't have that. We had a defined contribution plan, and then it, it, it evolved into a defined contribution plan. So we need to talk a little bit more about that. And uh, as I'm just rounding off this rant, because you can see I'm really riled up here, I once read a, a report from Pew Research, and it said that if you adjust for inflation to today's average hourly wage, has about the same purchasing power that it did in 1978. To me, that is freaking crazy. So 
I know it's an unusual episode, but I just needed to get this off of my chest and not just to my friends. I wanted to share it with you. So uh, let's just call this Jaquette's rants. And um, hopefully there won't be too many of them. But again, I wanted to share it with you because it is connected to money. And uh, yeah, this is all about talking about the psychology, emotions, and math of money. And money intersects with a lot of things, especially with politics. And I also just want to say as I close out, I don't have answers. I wish I did. <laughs> but I don't have answers. I just know that I truly, truly want us to start having conversations that really reflect, reflect the nuance, the layers, and the complexity of these issues. And if you plan to get politically involved um, and these issues are not a part of your agenda, I'm going to ask you to make it a part of your agenda for those that will be impacted by these matters of health insurance, um, about folks that are, you know, looking to start and grow a, a, a business and the, the, the different kinds of pressures that they have because so many of the policies are designed for Fortune you know, 500 companies and not necessarily for small businesses, which are truly the backbone. And then let's also just make sure that we're not being a part of the a conversation that's conflating wealth with wealth and justice. Yes, let's tackle wealth and justice and let's do that aggressively, but let's not vilify people for wanting to build wealth and create, you know, a legacy of wealth for their family for multiple generations. Okay, my rant is over. Thank you for listening. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. And I really do truly thank you for tuning in and for listening all the way until the end. And um, I know normally I will tell you about upcoming events, but today what I want to invite you to do, if you've not done the financial wheel exercise, go to jaquettetimmons.com forward slash wheel. It's a free exercise. And um, that will just help you connect with your financial vision, connect with your goals, and to see what extent you are living from a financial standpoint, more by design versus by default. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. I know that you have so many different options when it comes to listening to uh, podcast episodes or podcasts, and I just really appreciate you uh, making this one of those that you tune into. Um, yeah, so thank you again. And if you are not already a subscriber, please do so, whether you're listening in on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or elsewhere, um, please subscribe. And then if you have a moment, please take a, some time to leave us a rating and a review. And if we're not already connected on social media, let's do that. I'm really active on Twitter and Instagram. And it'll be a great way for you to tell me what you're ranting about when it comes to politics and money. So again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, remember, it's about more than money. <laughs>